intergalactic crack this is arma observatory and planetarium's stellar podcast uh today it's just myself and the wonderful heather uh joining me so a classic um episode no guests this week and we're gonna have a very interesting topic about one of the biggest lads in the solar system heather mm-hmm. oh it's gonna be a to- we're gonna talk about a chunky boy but before we get into it um we're just gonna do a bit of chatting this time. I know we've been very quick in the rushing into the topics, but um, just wanted to say thank you to a lovely reviewer. Um, review? Uh, huh? Yes, a oh, review. I'm so excited. By someone called Starry-Eyed um, from Great Britain, so mainland UK. Hi, Starry-Eyed. Uh, they say this podcast discusses some of the big topics in astronomy, which are light with a lighthearted, easy to approach um method the two hosts have a good knowledge on a wide range of topics and have brought in some astronomer experts for others whilst also maintaining an entertaining overtone and five stars oh thank you so much starry i thought that that's lovely it's always really brilliant to get feedback and hear people's reviews it's that's that's just lovely thank you so much i really we really appreciate that yeah and if you want to like have your review read out on the podcast we do love them we do see them um uh, we see the interaction on twitter as well i know alan on twitter is a big fan of the podcast which we oh, yes. appreciate um so yes we do see it all so um if you'd want to get a shout out from us go ahead leave a review a comment anything at all it's just you know it is so wonderful just to be doing this podcast. And I have, we have to um, acknowledge something here as well. We're actually, um, Courtney and I are are both in the same building while we're recording today. I know, absolutely scandalous. Uh, we haven't had much of an opportunity to do that because of lockdown, but we are both in the same building today, though mm-hmm. not in the same room or even on the same floor, Heather. No, yeah, I'm upstairs and you're downstairs. <laughs> yeah. As it should be. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Well, social distancing wise, we're being yes. very sensible. Um, yes. And also for listeners, we are recording these episodes a couple of months in advance due to mm-hmm. the planetarium's intense summer program. Um, yes. So we're going to be very busy. So we decided to get some podcast episodes queued up and ready to go so there wouldn't be any delay in releasing just because we like to keep to a good schedule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing we're just going to say because we're recording in advance, if some of the things that we say between now and the release go out of date, we're sorry because <laughs> you know we're just trying to 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 keep you guys in the loop with uh, intergalactic crack and you know we're very excited for the opening of the planetarium it actually feels like an absolute age since we've had the public in here we we had the public in what was it eight days in december 2020 and yeah. um, it was an intense eight days but it was wonderful but then everything went to pot again but this time summer it's just going to be great. We're going to be on the go steadily. So I'm excited, nervous, but excited. Yes. And by the way, if any of our listeners haven't been to the planetarium before ever, maybe now would be an excellent time to go because we've got some brand new facilities, the latest in uh, projection software and hardware in the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have a new summer show or two. 
um mm-hmm. lovely new cafe lovely new exhibition area so really there's lots to say so an ideal time to come um is when we reopen over the summer definitely um but uh I think without further ado, I think we should jump into today's topic because I don't know about you, Cordy. I'm actually quite excited about this one. I know we suggested this topic way back when we were planning out season two, which feels like a long time ago. But when I started doing my research for this, I was like, wow, this is very, very interesting. What are we talking about today? Well, today's topic is hefty Jupiter. (laughs) Hefty. The chunkiest boy in the solar system. Um. So first things first, as I said before, we are recording a couple of months in advance. And in July of this year, the Juno mission observing Jupiter will end. So Mm -hmm. we might get more information when it returns. Who knows? But this is the most up-to-date information that we have. um, And we're recording this in late May. So this is how good the information, how well the information is good for Mm-hmm. And like um, that Juno mission, it launched um, in August of 2011. And you know, it's, I mean, that's, that's 10, 10 years of raw data that scientists and astronomers have been going through, which is, which is incredible. And like, it seems that, you know, every other month there seems to be new research coming out about Jupiter and a lot of the stuff I'm going to say, I don't really understand, but the stuff that I do understand is, is very interesting, but can I can I tell you my great? It's not even a fact; it's just a thing that I've noticed, and I think it's been online already, Courtney. But can can I can I tell you something I love about the Juno mission? Please go ahead. So we all know that hefty Jupiter, the big chunk, the big lad of the solar system, is named after the king of the Roman gods, Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the moons of Jupiter are like named after Jupiter's like mistresses and it's conquest like that's that's sort of like shady shady type stuff um totally okay because mythology but still questionable um but Juno is the name of Jupiter's wife (laughs) so I think NASA just had this brainwave where they were making this they knew that they were going to do this mission what are we going to call this spacecraft oh, hold on, Jupiter was a big, massive cheat on his wife, Juno. So let's send Juno, the wife up there, to keep an eye on Jupiter to see what's going on. So Juno was going to see what's going on with Jupiter and to keep an eye on his side chicks, so to speak? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> but I like I like NASA's attitude to naming things. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like it when, you know, it's... You, some people might not think twice about that, but then when you actually think, oh, hold on. Juno's Jupiter's wife. Yes, that works so well. So yeah, that that's that wasn't even like a fact that I wanted to start out with, um, but I just wanted to like get that out there because I think it's a really interesting thing about the, the Juno mission. So yeah, Juno. I think whenever they extended the program for this Juno mission, it got an extra like forty-one months around Jupiter. So that's that's pretty good. So an extra forty-one months of data <laughs> excellent they'll be loving all that information they get back um yeah no i we're listeners we're going to take this kind of turn by turn so mm-hmm. i'm going to share a fact with heather that i've learned about jupiter and vice versa mm-hmm. um so i'll start out because my first fact is to do with the clouds of jupiter which is really the outside and i know that you have a fact to do with the inside so maybe start off like that um so a question that we get a lot of the time in the planetarium is, would it be possible to land on Jupiter? 
And the answer is, of course, no, it is a gas giant. Yeah, you, you don't want to be landing on that boy. Yes, so it's a gas giant. It's basically a big ball of clouds. It's the simplest way you could um, describe it. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about actually what are the clouds? What are they made up of? Oh, okay. And then I'm also going to tell you about exactly what would happen if you fell in. Oh, hold on. Are you going to scare me like you did with the strange matter? Hopefully not too badly, um, because <laughs> in this scenario, we're assuming that we have very special spacesuits that will protect us from all the bad stuff. Okay, okay, right. I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready then. So yes, no, no squishing under atmospheric pressures or anything. Um, so first things first, um, the lovely clouds that we see on the surface of Jupiter, the big swirls, they're quite colorful. In mm-hmm. older pictures, they almost looked orange and yellow, but up close, they're like blue and purple. There's all of this going on. So those are the beautiful clouds and storms on the surface of Jupiter. But amazingly, despite the size of the planet, um, they're only 50 kilometers thick. 50 kilometers thick? Yep. On such a giant boy. That's the depth of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they're uh, made up of ammonia crystals broken down into two different cloud decks. Um, The darker material is thought to be compounds brought up from inside Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And then they change color when they're made contact with the sunlight. Um, but then below, like the top cloud bank, which is 50 kilometers, it's just hydrogen and helium the whole way down, which, as you know, is like the basis of star formation as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're formed at different altitudes. Um, the great red spot and the white clouds around it are actually the highest. Um, the top cloud temperatures are 120 Kelvin, which is a lovely minus 150 celsius oh so the white clouds that you see in Uh those pictures are the frozen ammonia crystals um so the best way to describe it would be like the water ice cirrus clouds on earth so like the Mm -hmm. really really high up ones they're the closest comparison if we're thinking clouds um then the yes, the low, the darker, lower down ones come up from the center of Jupiter, and then the sun turns in that nice brown color, and they're only minus seventy, so that's not too bad. Oh, that's, that's that's okay. Like you know, Antarctic temperatures. <laughs> if you want to know the specific chemical uh, makeup of these clouds, I do have it here. Okay. Um, they probably consist of condensed ammonium hydrosulfide. Nice. And their color might be caused by ammonia sulfur compounds such as ammonium polysulfides. Uh, <laughs> loads of lovely words here. Sulfur mm-hmm. compounds are invoked as the likely coloring agents because sulfur is uh, relatively abundant within Jupiter and the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And uh, hydrogen sulfide is notably absent from Jupiter's atmosphere above the clouds. So the darker ones are made up of those compounds and the other ones are more ice-like. Okay. Okay. Um, so say Heather, say mm. you and I went on a mission to Jupiter. Okay. Are we um, going to become Jupiter's mistresses here or what? <laughs> <laughs> Not with Juno watching anyway. Oh, oh yeah. Um, okay. I forgot. <laughs> so say we're like, okay, let's do a deep dive. Let's, let's, right. see, let's see what happens. Uh, so in this scenario, we do have to assume we're wearing special spacesuits to protect us from the temperature, which okay. is really cold on the outside. And then, you know, super hot on the inside, which we'll find out. The okay. radiation from the sun, the pressure of all the atmospheres, and then also no oxygen. So we'd have to assume we have some very special equipment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So if you were falling through the ammonia clouds at the top, 
uh, with the crystals and everything, you'd be falling uh, two and a half times faster than you would be falling towards Earth because of the gravity. Right. Light from the sun would be visible, so you'd be able to see, but it would be minus 150 degrees Celsius. Okay. <laughs> then we would keep falling, and then once we get to the darker ones, they're like a brown color, and they're the ammonium sulfide compounds that we talked about. Right. Uh, so that has a two atmospheres pressure and they get browner and browner the further you go down right then you would lose the light from the sun but then weirdly the temperature would increase that that doesn't make no sense (laughs) so the reason why it would actually get warmer even though you can't see the sun is because the light the heat isn't coming from the light of the sun the heat is coming from the pressure that you're being put under by the planet right okay so you know say you basically as you're falling into your doom, you fall into this darkness that feels as hot as hell. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, Sounds pleasant. At this point, it's actually not super, super warm. It's like a balmy spring day. It's maybe 20 degrees Celsius. Like we're not talking super hot yet. Um, okay. But you wouldn't be able to see much because the further you go, darker and darker until all of a sudden there's lightning. Uh, huh yeah so you wouldn't be able to see a thing it would be about 20 degrees and then all of a sudden all you can see is lightning and then lightning allows you to see what's going on so the lightning sounds like a horror movie oh it is yes uh the lightning is caused by white water ice clouds kind of underneath Mm -hmm. the brown clouds um and at this point there would be a 10 atmospheres pressure on you So it's heavy at this point. Mm. Um, assuming we keep going down and we dip below after some time, the thunderclouds, um, it would then be lovely 200 degrees Celsius. Oh, yeah. That, that's just what I want as I'm going into the center of a planet. <laughs> Bearing in mind, you can't see at this point yet. Yeah. Um, because it's so dark and you've passed the lightning stage. Now, in theory, you would stop moving at this point because you are as dense as your surroundings. Oh, oh. So the pressure down there makes it feel like you'd be like trying to swim through something as solid and as dense as you are. Oh, wow. Oh, that just, that that does not, I don't know why in my head, it just doesn't feel pleasant. So let's say our super suits have an ability to make us even more dense. Okay. Um, and we keep going for 13,000 miles <laughs> I mean just even you just saying that like we've already passed through so so much and then you still have to go 13,000 miles Jupiter's so big oh very big yes um so we're traveling for 13,000 miles and then we get to the fun hydrogen le- um layer it has a pressure of two million atmospheres mm-hmm. and it is so dense that the hydrogen becomes like this weird liquid metal mm-hmm. and like you could you would be able to see it because of the heat so it's liquid right. metal hydrogen mm-hmm. um and this is what creates the really strong magnetic field that jupiter has so it has mm-hmm. a magnetic field 20 times as strong as earth and we think it's this like molten layer of metal um and this would be hotter than the surface of the sun because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this Quite yeah hot. this are we are the surface of the sun, like 6,000 degrees Celsius. But like, yes, okay. Lovely, lovely. And, and then the last part is assuming there's a core, like a hard core. Um, not entirely sure. 
Uh, Heather will obviously explain this part a little bit more because scientists are kind of eh on it. Eh. But um, <laughs> there will be rock bottom you'd hit eventually with 10 times the mass of Earth and 10 million atmospheres pressure. Oh, that just, uh, science just, yes, exactly where I want to go on holiday. So there you go. A whistle stop tour of falling through Jupiter to your eventual gym. Yeah. I mean, if you have to go some way, that's a great way to go. <laughs> well, speaking of falling in towards Jupiter's core, I actually want to talk a bit about Jupiter's core because as Courtney said, scientists are a bit eh about what's at the center. So with information from the Juno mission, currently scientists think that there's not really a solid core. Um, It contains like rock and hydrogen metals, but it could be likened more to a thick, super hot soup rather Mm. than a solid core. So, you know, rather than, you know, hitting rock bottom as you go in towards the center, you're actually falling into thick, super hot soup is what they think anyway. Um, So as said, scientists are still questioning this and they still need more material. And I think they'll be analyzing data from Juno for years and years to come. But it was only in 1997 that the existence of a core inside Jupiter was even theorized. Before that, they just were so unsure that they said, right, it either has a solid core or there's nothing. You know, they just had, they just... Well, probably they would have said nothing because the existence only theorized in 1997. But you get get what I mean. They had no clue, no concept of like what could actually be inside here. Gravitational measurements were taken at this time period in 1997. And it indicated a mass at the center of Jupiter in the neighborhood of 12 to 45 times the Earth's mass. So the proposed core, whatever this was made up of, would account for about 3 to 15% of the total mass of the planet Jupiter and that that's a lot that is a lot yes I suppose because of the mass it's all pushed into one space whereas the planet's very big but it's essentially fluff Mm -hmm. exactly and um in so that was that was so 1997 we're gonna skip forward to 2019 so not that long ago And it was theorized in 2019. Again, we're still saying theorized here. Nothing has been proven, but there's some accepted theories. So I'm just going to say this is theorized. So it was theorized that a giant impact 4.5 billion years ago could actually be the reason that Jupiter's core is stranger than astronomers expected. So back whenever the solar system was forming, we know that there's lots of collisions happening all the time. I mean, a Mars-sized object, battered into the earth and here we get the moon. Lots of things like that was happening. So it's not surprising that something like this could have happened to Jupiter. So um, astronomers thought that Jupiter began as a rocky and icy planetary embryo, which I like the, okay. I like the, the term there, um, that later formed into its massive gaseous envelope drawing in hydrogen and helium from the solar nebula um, by virtue of its gravity. So um, it's sucking in all of this stuff. It's suggested that, so again, if I'm misconstruing any of this information, it is, I still find this quite hard to comprehend because I still can't comprehend that there's no solid core at the center of Jupiter, but it's suggested that the solid core is mixed with hydrogen through a large part of its radius. Um, and then the, the scientist, and again, I'm sorry if I say this wrong, um, but 
Xiang Fei Lu from Sun, Sun Yat-sen University in China said that instead of a small compact core, as we assumed, Jupiter seems to have a dilute fizzy core that extends to almost half of its radius. Fizzy. Fizzy, I know. Okay. I was once talking to one of uh, the PhD students here in the Arma Observatory and Planetarium. He's, he's no longer with us, um, Daohai. I asked him what he thought was at the center of Jupiter, and he, being a planetary scientist, he likened it to a slushy. Oh, okay. You know, like, you know, like one that you would get at the cinema or something like that, so a slushy. So we're basically talking food types here. <laughs> it's either okay. a hot thick soup or it's a slushy or it is like... Uh, sorry, I said fizzy. I actually meant fuzzy. Fuzzy. <laughs> but fizzy, fizzy, fuzzy. Either or. Uh, Shang Fei Lu goes on to say that after the impact, Jupiter's primordial compact core was completely destroyed and a dilute core-like structure was formed. So they have done these planetary models that have shown what would have happened whenever this collision would have happened 4.5 billion years ago. And this is what they're guessing is that there used to be maybe a, this rocky, icy, solid core, then the impact happened, and then things just went to pot. Things just went to hell. Everything just got weird for Jupiter. So still, I think, you know, when we're talking about this in the planetarium and people ask us, well, what is at the center of Jupiter? We're not wrong in saying, hey, we don't know. But we're also not wrong in theorizing that actually, soup. 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 It could be a soup type substance because we're just not hot sure soup. hot sip hot sip from this big chunky boy in the solar system and this is all due to what they're thinking was a giant impact at the formation of our solar system i mean i wish we could go into jupiter and see what the crack is but as we both know how they're not exactly possible with the 10 million atmospheres pressure yeah not not um not great. And I did, as I was looking at the pressure as well, um, I got a great example. So um, it says here, at Jupiter's core, you would feel as much as 650 million pounds of pressure pressing down in every square inch of your body. That would be like having approximately 160,000 cars stacked up in every direction all over your body. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You know, I'm happy enough that Jupiter is so far away. Like, it's fine by me that he keeps his distance from Earth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, quite happy that Jupiter is there. However, you know, it is suspected that Jupiter flung the asteroid towards us that killed the dinosaurs. But, uh -huh. you know, then... A without... wonderful segue. Oh, really? Yes. So um, I'm actually going to talk about... Does Jupiter protect us or hurt us more Ooh. with regards to asteroids? Um, so one uh, astronomer compared him to a sniper. A sniper. A sniper aiming asteroids at our poor little <laughs> rocky planet. Um, so does it protect us? So yes and no. Okay. Um, so some astronomers do believe that the reason Earth is habitable is because the gravity of Jupiter helps protect us from some comets. So long period comets that come from outer reaches of the galaxy, they don't originate necessarily from our solar system. Mm -hmm. uh, they come in and Jupiter kind of eats them. Just a big numb. Yeah, so because obviously it's so big, the gravity is so huge. Um, we also think it kind of slingshots them out of our solar system before it gets the chance to come anywhere near us, which is mm -hmm. also nice. Um, 
long period comets are thought to strike the Earth only on very long timescales of millions or tens of millions of years. Um, without Jupiter nearby, it's possible that comets could collide with us much more frequently. Oh, okay. Th and that's, I don't know, is that, it's reassuring, but I'm still thinking it's a sniper. So is that, mm, well, yeah, mean, okay. For example, uh, you'll know this, Heather, um, we have been able to see the wounds of Jupiter in recent oh. years, um, such as Comet Schumacher Levy 9 in 1994. Mm -hmm. So we were able to see like these gaping wounds in the cloud tops of Jupiter from where it hit it hit um, Jupiter as it, you know, Jupiter collected it as it likes to. Mm -hmm. um, in 2009, even more recently, astronomers observed a dark green gash in the side of the planet caused by a comet. Oh, um, but it is double-edged sword. So we can see yeah. that he's defended us, perhaps accidentally, um, <laughs> for millions of years. Um, good and bad conditions for Earth life, though. So it also, as much as he, he, Jupiter, a boy now, apparently. I know, um, we keep calling him he, but you know. Well, Jupiter was a man, so fair enough. Yeah. Um, so as much as it keeps asteroids from hitting us, um, it also fling some at us because mm. as much as it has the slingshot effect of throwing it out of the solar system it can also throw it towards us um so today jupiter's gravity continues to affect the asteroids now it nudges it kind of towards the sun um which is unfortunate because that has the possibility of colliding with us as we're much closer to the sun notice mm -hmm. our nice warm temperature um Another interest, so this is an anecdote that came from uh, several centuries ago. The late Brian G. Marsden, former director of the International Astronomical Union Center, Central Bureau for Astronomical Telegrams. Wow. Yes, quite the acronym. That is. <laughs> related it to Dennis Overby of the New York Times in 2009 um, after the dark gash appeared that we talked about earlier. Uh-huh. It's rare for a comet to come within one astronomical unit of Earth. But mm -hmm. in the year 1770, a comet Lexel streaked past Earth at a distance of only a million miles. Now, for everyone listening, a million miles sounds like so far away. But in terms of yeah. space, that's like essentially like a comet breathing on your neck. Um, mm -hmm. So a quote from this from many years ago. Oh, exciting. 1770 <laughs> the comet had come streaking in and out of the solar system three years earlier and passed close to jupiter which diverted it to a new orbit straight towards earth the comet made two passes around the sun and in 1779 again passed very close to jupiter which then threw it back out of the solar system it was as jupiter as if jupiter aimed at us and missed <gasps> oh I'm just trying to think, you know, what was happening around the 1770s that Jupiter just could see what was happening and just went, no comet. Here you go. But missed. Oh, dear. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine how bright that comet must have looked in our sky as well? I mean, so I don't know anything about this comet. I have to. Minimal light pollution at the time, which means you would have been able to get a pretty good view of it. Oh. Um, but yeah, so does it fling like a sniper asteroids at us? Yes, um, but it also keeps them from us. So it's a bit of a mm. double-edged sword. It's served us well so far. It We think it possibly didn't serve the dinosaurs as well. 
Um, the dinosaurs just did something that Jupiter did not like and was like, hey, no, stop that. Bang. <laughs> yeah, so just so you know, um, Jupiter is like a benevolent slingshot in the sky. So everybody yeah. just watch out. Or like, you know, referred to as a sniper, but maybe not such a good one if it missed. <laughs> yeah. One time. Well, okay, so... Jupiter, the great protector, but could be the great destroyer as well. Love it. That's actually that did scare me quite a, a little bit, just just a little. <laughs> so I, I'm going to bring it around to a topic now that's not so scary. Um, I'm going to talk about how long a day lasts on Jupiter. So it's surprising. Would you know how long a day lasts on Jupiter, Courtney? It's okay mm. if you don't. No, it depends. Because some days on Earth feel very long. They yeah. do feel longer than 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It does. Well, I I would think that even the longest, like you say you're sitting and you're feeling like you're having a long day, the day on Jupiter actually only lasts 10 hours when you round it all up. Seriously? Yeah. So for such a big, hefty boy in the solar system, you'd think that actually it would rotate quite slowly but no it rotates quite fast so I'm going to give you just some facts here so one other thing that I quite like I'm going to refer to this is um we're going to call it Jovian so that's what you're talking about Jovian time and a Jovian year so that's how you refer to to Jupiter so um one day in Jupiter takes around 10 hours and then uh, it takes uh, Jupiter about 12 earth years to go around the sun one time as well so again I mean, obviously, we know the further away from the sun you are, the slower you go around it. But it's still, I still think it's quite weird that it rotates faster than it travels around. So um, Jupiter's equator is tilted um, with respect to its orbital path as well around the sun by just three degrees. So this means that Jupiter spins nearly upright and does not have seasons as extreme as the other planets do, which, again, is quite interesting. So officially, um, the Jovian day lasts for nine hours, 55 minutes and 30 seconds. And that just seems to me so short. I just have this vision of Jupiter like violently spinning, like violently, (laughs) like a bear blade in the sky. Like (laughs) you cannot stop this thing from going. Violently flinging asteroids at us, <laughs> just making the day so short for no reason. Yeah, um, Beyblade, that's a, a blast from the past right there for me oh, anyway. Geez. Just in terms of that, you know, the fast spinning, as you were saying there, I always imagine if I could give Jupiter like, you know, a voice, it would just be screaming, going, ah, I'm spinning so fast. <laughs> um, but basically it means that a single day on Jupiter is uh, just over a third the length of an Earth day. You know, it's just, it's... That's insane to me. Um, This is due to the gas giant having uh, a very rapid rotational speed, which is um, around about 12.6 kilometers per second. Or if you want that in uh, per hour, that is uh, 45,300 kilometers per hour, which is really fast at the equator. So that's the equator. so another thing that I learned, so I, I've always just said, you know, oh yeah, takes takes 10 hours to go around for a day. But actually, um, astronomers have split this into three systems. 
Um, so it's, and it's really interesting. So the rotation of Jupiter's polar atmosphere is about five minutes longer than that of the equatorial atmosphere. Um, so I'm going to explain this to you then. So system one applies to the latitudes 10 degrees north to 10 degrees south, where its rotational period um, is the planet's shortest, which is nine hours, 50 minutes and 30 seconds. System two, um, well, it applies at all latitudes north and south of these, and its period is nine hours, 55 minutes and 40 seconds, roughly. Then system three corresponds to the rotation of the planet's magnetosphere, and its period is used by the IAU to define Jupiter's official rotation. So that's, that's a lot of numbers, and that's a lot of stuff to remember. So basically, in theory, if you could stand on the cloud tops of Jupiter, um, or possibly on a floating platform, because I think that actually might be safer, um, like Bespin in Star Wars, just nerding out a little bit there, um, you would witness the sun rising and setting in the space of less than 10 hours from any latitude. And in the space of a single Jovian year, the sun would rise and set a total of about 10,476 times. Is that all? That's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that is basically roughly how Jupiter's day works. And honestly, sometimes I feel like there's not enough hours in our day and we have 24 hours. Imagine trying to do everything in 10. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be able to do a thing, of course, because you'd mm -mm. be frozen on the outside and uh, burned on the inside. So True. So like Jupiter, absolutely... I absolutely love this planet. Like, I know whenever we're talking to the public, like, I say, you know, oh, everyone's pl favorite planet's Saturn because it's got its beautiful rings. But actually, more people love Jupiter than you realize. Particularly kids are really fascinated by Jupiter just because it's so thick with two Cs. <laughs> Jupiter is an absolute unit. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so weird. And so beautiful. The photos you get of Jupiter's surface are just amazing. And the fact yeah. that you can actually see it with your naked eye. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to see how pretty it is with your naked eye, but you'll be able to see it in the night sky. I think some people don't realize that what they're looking at is a planet and not a star. Yeah, exactly. And if like if you have a good pair of binoculars or a small telescope, um, and if you point it at Jupiter, you can see its moons like we didn't even there's so much about Jupiter that we didn't even get to talk about its moons we didn't even get to talk about like its aurora there's there's so much but yeah in the night sky if you have a good wee telescope you can see some of the moons as well which is just that's just great it is it's definitely worthwhile looking out for Jupiter and obviously pattern 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 you need Saturn. a coffee <laughs> Saturn its pal is right beside it in the night sky as usual um but yeah worth a go absolute unit um spinning wildly violently throwing asteroids our direction melting uh things into metal at its core that shouldn't be metal yeah um, really really just having a great time yeah it's it's up there living its best life and we're just looking at it, admiring it, and like, do Google pictures of it. The Juno mission's taken some absolute beauts in its time. Yeah. But, Courtney, we've come to the end, haven't we? Do we have anything to wrap up with? 
just to say, if you have any questions or topics that you would like us to cover, email us, please, at uh, podcast at arma.ac.uk. Uh, we will get it. We will see it. We will reply. We will feature you. Um, so, yes, please do. Yeah. And like, remember to follow us on the likes of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel as well. Um, we always want to be interacting with you guys. And it may be, may be a little bit more difficult for us to do it over the summer, but we will see all the messages coming in on Twitter and we'll try and reply as best we can. And as Courtney said, if you have any topics, and I mean any topics that you want us to talk about, we will try and cover it. Um, and we're going to hopefully keep this podcast going throughout the summer and keep you updated on all the amazing things that we're doing. So I look forward to recording the next episode. Woohoo! Yes. So, oh, sorry, I just I just interrupted you there because I just like talking about um, how awesome we are. Um, Courtney and I um, have been you know, keeping an eye on all the figures and things. And we're seeing all the people coming in from all the different countries listening to us as well. So I know we said, if you can visit the planetarium this summer, please do. If you can't, do keep following us on our uh, website as well as we keep lots of images updated there. And, you know, we're going to try and keep you updated on what we're doing over the summer. It's going to be really great fun. All right, Heather, I do have a question. Yeah, I have a question. Oh, hmm, let me think. I have several questions. I'm still questioning falling into Jupiter's core and that whole darkness heat thing. Um, but I think my final question for today is, do you need some space? Oh, I need some space. Observatory and Planetarium is a registered charity and part of the Northern Ireland Government Department for Communities. To find out more about AOP, follow us on Facebook, Twitter at Armagh Planet, Instagram at Armagh Planet, YouTube at Armagh Observatory and Planetarium, or check out our website where we host our blog, Astronauts, www.arma.space.